Well, amen. Let's take our Bible to the book of Numbers tonight, Numbers chapter number 23. <clears throat> tonight may be a, a little different kind of uh, a message, and, um, and maybe what is may typically here, and, um, but I trust the Lord will bless his word to you here tonight. Hey, have you ever read missionary biographies of past men and women of God and and you just seen how God just used them, and and you just you're just in awe of, of what God did with them, and how He used them. Now the trap that we can fall today into is we can look at that, we can read that and say, well, <laughs> that was a hundred years ago, that was two hundred years ago. It, it's different today. It, things like that just don't happen in our in our world today. Well, friend, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And I desire, and I trust you, this church is, the heart of this church. Our desire is to see God work in such a way that it leaves people with absolutely no question but to say, look at what God did. Not look at what the pastor did. Not, not look at what the missionary did. But look at what God did. Now here in the book of Numbers, chapter number 23, this was a time when the king of Moab, Balak, had hired Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. And we're just going to to look at one particular verse here in verse number 23. And Balaam says, Surely there's no enchantment against Jacob, neither Is there any divination against Israel? According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? What hath God wrought? Do you desire to see God work in incredible ways? Nehemiah 6 and verse 16, we read that it says that when they perceived that this work was wrought, or that they perceived that this work was wrought of our God, And I want both lost and saved to have no doubt in their minds that this is a work that God did. And so tonight, I want to speak on the subject of what hath God wrought? What hath God wrought? But let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. In these next few moments, I just pray that you would help us to set aside the cares of this life and uh, just, to, just to put those aside for the next few moments and help us to concentrate on your, your word, and, but, but really in stillness tonight to, to just hear what you'd have to say to us individually, but also what you'd have to say to this church here tonight. Give us listening ears, Father, and, and uh, help us to take what we learn from here to, to be better prepared to to, to follow you and to serve you and to live for you and, and, and to witness for you and to be a testimony and, uh, f- for you and just to, to see you do something special in, in our lives, in our churches at this day in this age. It's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Uh, my home sending church is Fargo Baptist Church, and we have owned and operated a Christian radio station since 1997. And back, it must have been around 1999, 2000, I was in Bible college at the time, that my pastor asked me to produce a radio program 
that we entitled Vision for Missions. And it wasn't a program that was done live. It was a program that we, I would go in on, on like a Saturday morning and I would just record five, five episodes, five, five broadcasts, and then I would edit them and prepare, prepare them to be aired later that week. And uh, m- much of the time I would read various prayer letters of, of missionaries to encourage the listening audience to just know about what God is doing in different places of the world, but also to be able to, to pray for these missionaries. Well, there was a particular program. I, I was recording this, this program, and I, I don't remember what, whose prayer letter it was. Today, I, I, I have no recollection of who the missionary was or even what country it was in. But I was reading a, this prayer letter of this missionary who was writing about God did something just really unique, really amazing in this small village. And it moved me as I was trying to read this prayer letter while I'm recording the program, and my, my, my eyes were welling up with tears, and I had a hard time even reading what the, what the letter said, and I, I just had to hit the pause button. I just had to stop, and I, I, I backed away from, from the, the recording station there, and uh, I really just put my head in my hands, and uh, I, I said, God, whew, would, would you do something like that in my life? And basically, I was asking him, God, would you, would you bring me to a people that is prepared for the gospel? Now, about a year or so later, God had called my wife and I to go to the country of Thailand in 2002 and 2003, we spent those two years on deputation, raising funds to go to Southeast Asia. In January 2004, we, we arrived. We spent our first year in language school. Uh, I had to pass a sixth grade government uh, proficiency exam in order to obtain a, a missionary visa from, uh, from, from the government in order to be able to, to, to stay there and do do missionary work, and so that first year we really just hammered on the language uh, to be able to communicate, read, write, and speak, and teach in the Thai language. And by the end of that year, uh, uh, I passed that, praise the Lord, I did pass that test. And by the way, just a a quick side note, um, that test was in December, and this was the year 2004, and it was just It was the end of one year of ministry in Thailand, and we just went so hard with the language. And Christmas is coming up, and we thought, well, let's just go. Let's just let's just go to a different part of the country. Let's let's go like around Christmas time. Let's just get away. Let's just relax. Let's just recalibrate. Let's just uh, have a refreshing time. And we, you saw in that video, Phuket, that was hit by the tsunami. Well, that place that was hardest hit by the tsunami was the very place that we were intending to go. But as I was trying to find places and hotels and places we could stay, it was booked. We we couldn't find any place. God providentially hindered us from being there. Or we would have been there on that day. My son would have been uh, a year and maybe five months, not quite a year and a half at that time. And, um, and so we just uh, thank, thank the Lord for that, that uh, in his 
provision or his protection uh, on us. But um, that following year in early January or in early 2005 then, missionary Tom Godet had come to the region. We had planned to, he, he planned to come just for a couple, three years to, to do a project in that area. And we were going to be there to help him and, and assist and, and, and co-labor together in that project. And, um, you know, I don't know, it'd probably been five or six years since I prayed that prayer. And uh, I'd totally forgotten about it. And, you know, we may forget the prayers that we pray, but praise the Lord, God doesn't forget. Amen. Well, in the middle of 2005, Brother Godet had heard about these Hmong refugees that came from Laos and set up a makeshift refugee camp there in north-central Thailand. Now, who are these refugees? Really quickly, during the time of the Vietnam War in our country, um, or I guess over in Vietnam, but at that time, our CIA fought a secret war in Laos. And our CIA was training the Hmong people to fight against communism from coming in from North Vietnam. And so when our government pulled out of Vietnam, our CIA pulled out of Laos. And we left the Hmong people pretty much to fend for themselves. And so when the VC came in from, from North Vietnam into Laos, they literally cut the Hmong people basically into two groups. There was one group that had free and clear access to escape into Thailand. They, they crossed the Mekong River, set up refugee camps, and over the next uh, 10, 20 years, many of them emigrated to the United States. But there was a group that couldn't escape to Thailand, and they had to melt away into the jungles and live up in the mountains. And many of them even uh, just ended up just melting into rural mountain village life. And it wasn't until 2005, many of those people were able to illegally enter Thailand and end up setting up this makeshift refugee camp in hopes of, like their brothers and sisters and parents and uncles and aunts did, also emigrate to the United States. But also more Hmong people from Laos that had gotten back into regular society, they started coming as well. And this, this camp grew to 10,000 people at one point. And, um, but the Thailand was not going to let them emigrate to the United States. And, uh, but we um, literally, so, so we learned about these refugees literally living on the side of the road. And you saw that there in, in the video. And so I went with Brother Godet to, primarily to serve as a translator. Uh, he wanted to survey the situation and see what ministry possibilities existed. We met up with some of the, Christian, the, the Christians there and determined some literature needs, Bibles and other literature. And so we returned to Bangkok. We collected as much resources as we could, brought them back to the camp for the second time. And uh, honestly, I, I only had small interest at the time, I'm ashamed to say this, with the refugees at first. You see, I had this attitude that God called me to Thailand to reach Thai Buddhists. And these Hmong people, number one, they weren't Thai, and number two, they weren't Buddhist. They were animists. They were spiritists. And, um, but, you know, I learned that sometimes God has to bring you from point A to point B 
so that you can get to point C. Wouldn't be able to go right from A to C without going to B first. And so on that second trip, the refugees, the, the, the Christian leaders asked me if I could come on a regular basis. They had 15 men that they wanted trained for the ministry and to be able to teach them the Bible. And, and now I was a, in a dilemma in my heart. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't want to be distracted from what I thought and take time away from what I thought was my ministry there, reaching the Thai Buddhists. And, you know, any time spent with the Hmong was taking time away from the Thai Buddhists. And, you know, I half-heartedly agreed to do it, thinking, well, this probably isn't going to last very long anyways. But, you know, I, I'd come to this point that I thought, well, my ministry is either going to be with the Hmong people or it was going to be with the Thai people. I had this either-or scenario in my mind, and I really don't know how that developed because I really knew better. And shortly thereafter, through studying the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, I, I realized that Paul didn't have an either-or mentality. He wasn't, I don't know, should I work with the Ephesians? Or should I go over here and, uh, you know, with the Corinthians? You know, one or the other. No, he, he worked with both of them. He had a both-and mentality. He wanted to make world-impacting disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's when I realized I, I didn't have to choose one or the other. We, we, we could do both. And so we began making regular trips to the refugee camp to be able to teach the Bible. And then something happened that I did not expect to happen. Lamentations 3.51 says, Mine eye affecteth my heart. And uh, my heart began to change uh, toward the Hmong people. We started to think differently about them and this opportunity that God had brought to us that led us to make decisions that would eventually turn into the highlight of our missionary career thus far. We soon rented a house on the edge of the refugee camp so we could spend more and more time teaching the men. We had many ample opportunities to also evangelize the unsaved. We, we were about two months into the work. I, I was teaching the Bible student when this students, when these, this man comes up to me from the side, and he has a sheet of paper. And uh, I look at the piece of paper, and it's just a list of names on it. And I said, so what's, what's this about? He goes, oh, these are all men who want to become Christians. I go, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of fairly new to this Thai language. You know, I thought you said, you said you, these people want to become Christians. Well, that's right, they do. And I'm like... What I wanted to say was, you don't understand, you know, this is 2005, this isn't, you know, 1805, you know, things like this just don't happen today. And he's like, no, seriously, you know, and what, what it was is many of these people came from, from the jungles of Laos their whole life, enslaved to demons, spiritism. And when they heard the truth, when they heard about Jesus Christ, they're like, that's right. That's true. I want that. And I said, I, I can't handle 100 people at once. I, I said, I'll tell you what, let's, let's break these into groups of 20 people. And, and, and I can sit down with 20 people and, and, and go through the Gospels. Let, let, let's, let's take two hours with, with, with each group the, for the next day. 
And so we did that. And at that time, thankfully, we had a Hmong American that was there on a, for like a two-week trip to, to, to help us. And so he helped with the translation to be able to cl- clearly communicate the gospel. And we spent an hour and a half going through the gospel with them and then give an invitation and everybody raises their hand. Brother Prater, I'm like, they didn't understand. Not everybody raising, no, they, obviously wires got crossed. You know, this doesn't happen. So, okay, so let's, let's, let, let's go through it again. So we go through it again. This time, anybody who wants to get saved, actually come up, for, come forward, right? Well, everybody came forward. And I'm like this, you know, just, wow, pray, pray, praise the Lord. And uh, later throughout the day, these groups kind of actually grew bigger than, bigger than just 20 people as more people started to join. And by the end of the day, well over 100 people had received uh, Christ as their Savior. And now in the Hmong culture, when you're spiritist and you become a Christian, you go through what's called a spirit cleansing ceremony, which it's nothing spooky or anything like that. Basically, someone with authority, like a pastor or a missionary, would go into their house, collect the items of spirit worship that's in their house, take them outside where they were burned, you sing a song, and you pray over the place. And that was a spirit cleansing ceremony. But before you could do that, the wife and the older children were like, look, our hus- my husband and our, or our father got a chance to become a Christian. What about us? And so before you could even do the spirit cleansing ceremony, <laughs> preaching the gospel again there, leading them to Christ, and then could, could do that. Now, um, <clears throat> so... About the same time, the Christians, the, the, the leaders, had come to us and asked if we would start a church. And you saw in the video, Pastor Skevin came and, and we baptized the charter members and Amkal Baptist Church was born. And then we pretty much, we, we emphasized our time with the leaders teaching the men, and then they would turn around and then teach their own people. And, and after the, the church was established, uh, as, you know, we had this mentorship relationship with them. God gave us exactly four years with them. Um, they, they trained about 40 men to be pastors. Uh, these homeless, jobless refugees built and financed two church buildings themselves without any help from missionaries or Western churches. And then at the beginning of 2009, we all felt like the Thai government was getting close to sending them back to Laos. And so we encouraged the leaders to develop a church planting strategy uh, back in Laos. And their very last Sunday together as a church, we happened to be there on that day. And it was on their fourth anniversary Sunday. God gave us exactly four years with them and it was shortly after this that the Thai military moved into the camp, loaded everybody up onto trucks, and shipped them all back to northern Laos. And that, uh, that church, uh, it never disbanded, but the senior pastor and some of the, 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 the members in that church were relocated just outside the capital city of, of Vientiane, and that became the new location of Nam Khao Baptist Church. And as you saw in the video, they... They have since started four other churches and there are six mission churches with many other um, pockets of believers that eventually want to see eventually a church started in their, in their village. <clears throat> well, 
uh, Lee Sang, uh, who became the senior pastor of Nam Cal Baptist Church, he was actually saved and called to preach before we met him back in Laos. Now, Laos is a communist country. There's no above-ground Bible college. So if you're going to learn to become a pastor, you have to find another pastor to learn from who is willing to teach you. And as it happened, he ended up meeting up with a, a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor who began teaching him the Bible. And uh, if you know about that particular denomination, there's they have several doctrinal errors that we don't agree with. One of them, for example, deals with eternal security. And <clears throat> as this pastor was teaching him, Issues like eternal security and in other major doctrines, as he's being taught, he's like, you know, and I found, I found this out later. He's like, you know, you're telling me this, but it seems like my Bible is saying something else. And uh, he's just never really got on board with that organization, but you're in a communist country. You're cut off from the rest of the world. You don't know anything anything else. So it's like, well, okay, I guess this is what's supposed to be done. And um, he was an up-and-comer in this particular denomination, and eventually he was given a church to pastor. And shortly after he started pastoring this church, the, the, the local government in that area began persecuting them. And uh, he felt impressed upon the Lord. He had heard about this refugee camp, in Thailand, and he felt impressed. He needs to go there, and he, he needs to go there now. So the next morning, he, he, got, he gathered his church together and said, I, I feel God really wants me to get to this refugee camp. I don't know why, but it, it's obvious. I, I need to go. You're all welcome to come with me. And some did, and some members stayed behind. Well, shortly after he left, the Lao government moved in and actually bulldozed down that church building arrested the remaining men in the church, put them in jail, did not feed them for a whole week. At the end of the week, they brought them food. And some of the men were so hungry, they ate the foods. Other men didn't trust them and did not eat the food. But of those who ate the food, in the middle of the night, they woke up with severe intestinal cramps. And by morning light, they were dead. They were poisoned. And Lee Sang had just escaped this. And um, he was leading this group of Christians when, when we met him. And, and as, you know, usually preachers do when they meet, they begin to talk about, about ministry. And we asked him, well, what denomination are you with? And he said, well, Christian Missionary Alliance. What denomination are you with? And I said, I'm a Baptist. He got this real funny look on his face. He says, Brother Prager, this is what he said. What's a Baptist? I've, I said, I've never heard of a Baptist. And so I took the opportunity, knowing that that denomination doesn't believe in eternal security. We, I said, well, for example, I'll tell you what. The, one thing we believe is we believe in eternal security, that once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. And we started looking at Bible verses. And then he said the funniest thing to me. He said, do Baptists believe the Bible? <laughs> I said, yes, we do. And he, he, he slammed his fist down. He says, I knew that's what the Bible taught. But I just didn't know anyone who believed it. And over the next 
a few weeks as we're talking more about more of the Baptist distinctives and what Baptists believe and just, just Bible truth. He's like, yeah, that's right. Well, I thought that's what my Bible said. Yeah, that's right, and that's right, and that's right. And then one day he says to me, he says, you know what? I need to be scripturally baptized. I didn't tell him he had to do that, but the Holy Spirit showed him. He began to understand scriptural church authority. He's like, I, I need to be scripturally baptized. And this is happening about the same time with these hundred guys that wanted to get saved. And, and you know, all this is coming together and, um, and, and, and God just birthed this church before our eyes. And after some intensive training, Lee Sang became the, 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 the pastor, the senior pastor of, of that church. But after the Thai government forcibly repatriated the refugees back to Laos, the, the CMA pastors in, in Laos heard of him and said, knew that he, got, he had received some more Bible training and was pastoring this big church in this camp. And so they said, can you come and teach us? Come and teach us. And he said, nope. Why not? Because I'm a Baptist. What's a Baptist? And that whole process <laughs> repeated itself. And, oh, you mean you believe the Bible? Yeah. And uh, just um, one one. Pastor is number three in this whole organization, traveled a couple days just to come and sit down and talk to him. And Brother Lee Sang just, just laid it all out for him over two or three days, just solid teaching. He went back and taught his church and God got a phone call a few days later and said, we all need to be scripturally baptized. We, we need to be a scriptural church. We want to become Baptists. Now, just want you to know, he's not going back there to try to convert people to, to, to be a Baptist. But these people are coming to him. What is this? And as he's showing them truth, they're realizing this is right. And they wanted to be a part of, some, of, of people who believe the Bible and not following man-made traditions. Oh, I could share so many testimonies with you. I, I, I'm, I'm just about done. Maybe I could try to squeak in just a couple really quick ones. Um, one family was resettled into this particular area where there are no other Christians. And uh, they planted some crops, and God gave them a bumper crop. And they were able to take their produce, go into the market, sell it, pay off their debts, and live off the rest. But one thing they did is they went throughout the village where there were poor people. People were too old. They, they couldn't work to, to plant crops. And they were sharing their food with them. And, and they were just stunned. They said, why are you doing this? If the situation was reversed, we wouldn't share our stuff with you. We wouldn't give you food. And they said, look, we're, we're Christians. And we believe this is something God would have us to do. We give this to you in Jesus' name. And, and people's hearts in that village began to soften. And the village leader's heart was softened to the point where he gave permission for this family to begin having services, allowing them legally to have services in, in their home. And uh, this was the... This was the congregation and it's in the video that was going to be organized but delayed due to COVID-19. That, that's this particular um, congregation. Uh, there was another man um, who went to a certain area of Laos and he was very zealous, very, very zealous and uh, witnessing everyone that he could. And, and the police basically arrested him, confiscated his Bible, brought him to the jail and said, you, you, you have to stop. If you don't stop, this jail cell is going to be your home for a very long time. 
And he basically just held out his hands like this and said, well, then arrest me right now. Put me in here because I'm not going to stop preaching Jesus Christ. Well, the police were so stunned, they didn't know what to do because no one had ever stood up to their threatenings before. They just gave him back his Bible, told him to go home and don't, you know, don't talk about Jesus Christ. And, well, the governor of that area heard about what was going on and he called for a meeting between the, 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 the police and, and the Christians. He kind of wanted to, to fix this situation. And all the Christians were telling this man, don't go to this meeting, don't go to this meeting. It was open to all the Christians, and he was going to go. But no one else wanted to go and try to talk him out of going. And he said, I'm not listening to you guys. I'm going to see what this is all about. So of all the Christians, only one man showed up, this Baptist. So you had all the police over here and just one Baptist down here. And the governor says, now you cannot force anyone to become a Christian. Okay. That's fine. I, you know, we can't force people to become a Christian, right? No problem. And then he looked at the police and he said, and you, you all leave him alone. And just like that, God took an area where there was persecution and basically allowed freedom of assembly uh, for the Christians in this area because of one Baptist man who had boldness and had faith in, in his God. And um, yeah, we, we could tell so many more, but uh, uh, basically these people, the, the Hmong people are able to do something that no other Western missionary is able to do, and that is to saturate a whole region and a people group with the gospel in a closed communist country. And I believe with all my heart that meeting these people was, God, was a divine appointment from God. God had prepared many of those refugees for our arrival, and miracle after miracle resulted from our time together. And now many more miracles are continuing to happen in Laos. Well, it was at the end of 2009 when the Thai government, was back up to 2009, Thai government forcibly repatriated these Hmong refugees back to Laos. It was all over the news. We knew what was happening, and we were wondering, are we ever going to see these people again? These people that we've come to love and, and for these past four years, what, what's going to happen to them? Are we ever going to see them again? And it was a really somber and quiet day in our house. And uh, as I sat there in my office, I was quietly reflecting on the four-year experience that God had given us uh, with them and wondering, God, wh why did you choose us to play this role, to have this part in these people's lives? And as I sat there in deep contemplation, God began to cause my mind to drift back about 10 years before to that radio station editing room where I had prayed for God to bring me to a people prepared for the gospel. And it was then that God seemed to whisper to my heart that this was an answer to that prayer. Amen. Amen. Talk about being speechless. Just couldn't say anything. Just sat there, just stunned. Numbers 23, 23. And it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what hath God wrought? God is still doing great things today. I wonder if there are some people here tonight 
who would say, God, would you do something like that in my life? Now, I may not be on a mission field somewhere. Be right, could even be something right here in liberal Kansas. God, would you do something like that in my life? Would you bring me to a people that is prepared for the gospel or a person that, is, that you have prepared to, 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 to get the gospel. I close with Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. This heart's perfect heart is a heart that is wholly yielded in trusting him. You know, God is looking for men and women and children that he can use to accomplish his plans and purposes for this world at this time in history. God is still doing great things, amen? It just wasn't 100 years ago. It wasn't two, just 200 years ago. It's still happening today. The question is, will you have a part of it? Will you have a part in, in it?